Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods. You can receive $15 off your first Public Goods orders with no minimum. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Gabby. Use the code Gabby at checkout. I am so thrilled that there's companies out there like Public Goods to give us what we want and what we enjoy, but to be good for us and for the planet. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hey, Gabby. You're calling your kid. I need some advice. Let's go. All right. That was great, Gabby. Let's make those legs longer. So, gee, how's it going with the kids? Uh-huh. You do not ah. feel like training. Come here. What's your plan? Okay, I'll be on your minutes. Let's go. Let's go. You want to train with Gabby? Gabby, the kids. Hello, Mom. Push the earth away, Gabby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I had so much fun on today's podcast with Bertha Gonzalez. She's an entrepreneur. She's originally from Mexico, and she is the first woman of tequila. She worked for some of the biggest companies that were out there, staying true to her heritage and her appreciation for tequila, the history of tequila, not only in her culture, but in her family really wanted to pursue owning her own business. And so she created, along with a partner, Casa Dragones. And the other interesting thing about this, besides it being a very difficult business, is coming out with one product. Bertha, at least for now, is coming out with the finest, best, high quality tequila that she can. And what she wants to do is share not only the luxury and the nuance and all that goes into tequila. I mean, the plants take somewhere between, you know, seven to nine years to even grow, but to treat it not just like, oh, okay, we're drinking tequila, but the art of tequila. And her passion and creativity and persistence is truly inspiring. Enjoy the show. So are you in New York? I'm in New York right now. Yeah. How's that for you to be in New York? You've been in New York since 2000 or something. You've been there a long time. I've been living between US and Mexico since the year 2000. Back and forth. I have my whole family lives in Mexico City. For building a business like this, there's no real border really apart from politics between Mexico and the US. Just that small little thing of the politics. (laughs) It's really like from a marketplace point of view, like it's, you know, selling our product in Mexico and the US. It's the same kind of nomad quality seeker consumer. You know, we're very focused on doing exactly the same initiatives in New York as in Mexico City, as in LA, as in, you know, Dallas or Miami or San Francisco. So it really is more about like being present where our consumer set is at in the two largest tequila markets in the world. And that's why it made sense for me to to go back and forth, Tequila Jalisco. So we see this whole region as a whole marketplace. I think what I found fascinating when I was getting ready to talk to you, besides like this idea of craftsmanship, which I thought was a really beautiful idea about, you know, artisans and craftsmen all around the world at doing different things. People think of Mexico a little bit as the wild, wild south. And 
What they don't realize is how sophisticated Mexico City is. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was two, you know, I lived in Mexico City. Really? Yeah. My mother trained dolphins in a circus in Mexico City in 1972 that was owned by a gentleman named Pedro uh, Lavia, owned the circus there. And do you remember the circus clown Chapazine? My mom was in the circus at the same time he was. And when I was little, I lived in Mexico City and would get pulled around in a little boat by dolphins. But then I caught whooping cough and I had, I had to move, but she stayed on. You know, your family's been in business there and there's sort of deep roots. Maybe you could just share the starting point of where your desire to elevate Mexican culture. Well, I had the opportunity to really fall in love with that tequila category. Growing up in Mexico, tequila is part of our social fabric. How we celebrate is how we cry, is how we mourn, is how we connect with people. It's a really beautiful part of our culture. And then I had the opportunity to represent Mexico in a program in Japan in my early 20s. And apart from having the opportunity of falling in love with a category for going to Tequila Jalisco for three days and really falling in love with the whole production process and everything, then I went and lived with program and a scholarship where I had to really represent Mexico and realize the power of tequila. You know, power of like when you're talking about the culture and people are like, get to know the country through a spirit. There's a lot of story to tell. There's a lot of story to tell from our who we are culturally, but also who we are from a craftsmanship point of view. And I come from a particular generation where you could see that there's so much action and so much incredible representation of the elegance and the craftsmanship of Mexico in the culinary world, in architecture, furniture design, in design itself. You know, I want to be part of that generation that's actually showcasing that elegance and that craftsmanship of Mexico through tequila. You know, passion is just something that, you know, I'm enamored with and I feel like it wakes me up every day and it it gives me determination to be able to be courageous to explore and also have nothing to lose, you know, because what I have to lose is losing the opportunity of not exploring. And that for me is the biggest currency. Heard this many times, people on their deathbed, it wasn't the success or failure. It was the never trying. That was the hard part or the part of regret. Never, well, I tried that business and it didn't work out. I'm not bummed about that. I wanted to try that business and I never did. Because it is fascinating. And I think sometimes when you talk about spirits, people don't understand what tequila, you know, what is it, eight to 10 years. Maybe you could just back me into your own discovery and love for the craftsmanship or the process from the agave to actual tequila. So tequila is, has an appellation of origin, just like champagne or cognac. Tequila is a town in the state of Jalisco for the production of tequila, a spirit that has been alive for around 250 years. So the history and the heritage that the spirit has is really deep. And within our appellation of origin, you can only harvest one type of agave, agave for the production of tequila. There's around 197 different types of agave that you can find in Mexico, the the diversity, the land in Mexico, the altitude, the soil combination, uh, the sun exposure are perfect for this plant to really grow and develop in the Mexican country. But in particular for the production of tequila, you can only harvest this style, which is Agave Azul Tequilana Weber, and you can only harvest it in five different states. How do you figure out like not only will this grow, but then this is going to taste well. Like what is out of, you know, 190 or whatever it is, it's like, how do you guys arrive at, okay, these five or this plant in particular? It starts with the soil and then the care of the soil. Traditionally, uh, producers, we have access very similar to wine where you have contracts with producers 
or you buy in the open market or you have your own fields. First of all, it's like when you plant a field, it's all about the care that you have in that field. It's all about the distance from one plant to the other. It's all about the care that and your approach to what care you give, different schools of thought on how to take care of a field, particularly takes, depending on the producer, five, seven, nine years to be able to harvest a field. So it's almost by the time you harvest a field, it's like, it's, can you imagine kind of like not only the emotional connection you have with the field, but also the responsibility to make sure that are you really nourishing the land and you're really taking care of the plants because the plant is the ingredient to be able to produce your tequila. This is the thing for me is like that patience and that care and that commitment. Because I think a lot of us think, you know, now, especially we're in this quick go, go, go. And we've been educated about this, about wine. Oh, this was a good year. This was a bad year. This is special. All of these things. And I think it's only in the last 10 years. And of course, people who've known about tequila have always known about this, but it's really understanding that same, you know, attitude. And in ways even more, this is a longer period of time with tequila. Let's say everything goes great. How many cases or bottles can you get from acreage? Like, what does that look like? Because in a way this becomes what's precious about it. If you're a volume producer, you probably are going to harvest when, you know, closer to when you need it. If you're a small producer, we're more in the business of taste than in the business of volume. So for us, it's all about harvesting at the right time when the plant is actually ripe to be harvested. We actually do that. Then you get all the efficiency out of the plant. Every producer has their own efficiencies, but you can get almost like five kilos to a liter if the plant is really in, in a very good condition. We're really looking at the plant and about quality of the plant and the health of the plant when you actually harvest it. So that's really what you're looking into. When the plant is actually ripe to do that, being able to take the best juices, it's almost like when you're having a vegetable, you're having a fruit. When you know it's ripe, you get like the best possible experience. Hi, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods. I am very excited to share with you Public Goods because this is a one-stop shop for affordable and sustainable, I'm saying it at the same time, healthy household products. So they've got home and personal care to premium pantry staples, and it's all in one place. Because they have a membership model, they can pass on the savings to you. Because normally, if you're trying to find things that are this sustainable, some zero-waste products, it usually costs a lot of money and they figured out a way to keep the cost down, but they ethically source. They're obsessed with developing their own products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common that are in all the stores that we shop at. They're committed to making their products healthy and safe for us, for the animals, and for the environment. This is very hard to do, and this is what Public Goods does. They search the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products like sulfate-free shampoos, even organic pesto sauce, and I love this, tree-free paper products. You've got tissues and toilet paper, and it's all tree-free. So knowing what's in your products and where they come from is so important. Small changes. You know, all of us, we do want to make a difference. I want to make a difference, and it's hard to do. We're busy. We're stressed out. We don't know where to go. We only have so much to spend. And this is a way we can shop to make a big impact on our personal health so we're not having toxic, using toxic products, and also the world that we live in. They plant a tree for every order placed, and they've planted over 100,000 trees since September 2019. 
They use a membership model, so this is how they keep the costs low, and they pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with zero obligation. So they're saying, hey, come check us out. You can go to publicgoods.com, see if the products make sense for your everyday life, and it does. Go ahead and become a member. And to make it even a little more attractive, they're giving a special offer for the Gabby Reese Show listeners. You can receive $15 off your first public goods orders with no minimum. So that means you can go there, get stuff, not even spend. And they're so confident you'll absolutely love their products that you'll come back again and again. So they're giving you the $15 to spend on your first purchase and you have nothing to lose. So I encourage you just go to publicgoods.com slash Gabby, use the code Gabby at checkout, and that's G-A-B-B-Y. And remember, public goods, P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S.com forward slash Gabby to receive your $15 off your first order. I am so thrilled that there's companies out there like Public Goods really trying to figure out to give us what we want and what we enjoy to make it look beautiful, but to be good for us and for the planet. You spent time at Jose Cuervo and had experience and, you know, that's a giant company. And so you're an entrepreneur and a business person and you're talking to me about plants that take seven to nine years. So I think there's an interesting mix of doing business around a craft. What's that like? Because business, you know, it's, it's numbers, it's selling, it's, it's producing, it's all of this. How do you meld, you know, the two? I came from a business background. The opportunity that we saw in the marketplace was to really showcase that tequila can compete with any other sipping spirit. Tequila can be at the echelon of all the best spirits in the world. We're on a mission to prove that. And we're on a mission to say, Cognac and single malts and whiskeys. Well, tequila needs to be right up there with them. You're right. The craft, I mean, the beginning years, we were on the craft, focused on the craft, focused on innovation, focused on extending the tequila repertoire to really bring completely different taste and experiences to the tequila adorer. But you, of course, I mean, I had to raise capital. I had to deal with, with investors, which I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. But yes, you have the craft and then you have the business side of things. So you need to make sure that your craft needs to be able to be commercialized and needs to be true to your mission in order for you to fulfill your goal as a craftsman or craftswoman. You need to make sure that there's true commercial strategy behind what you're doing. Otherwise, it's going to be a very beautiful project that you know no one's going to buy or no one's going to believe in or no, or no distributor will get behind it or no retailer will want to sell it. That's a balance that we look for on a daily basis. Beverage in general, and then you go to alcohol these are very tough businesses. And so I think you're just in an interesting position as a female, as a Mexican female. And then, so you're protecting the craft, but then trying, you know, navigating the business side. That's an education. You can't learn that at Northwestern. You can only know that through doing it. What have you added into your skill set as a business person? because you've been this liaison between these sort of two worlds, what things have really served you? You have to have this perseverance and determination, you know, because any preconceived obstacle that people tell you about, if you believe it, then it's real. So you just have to, I think that you have to just think that, yes, it's a male-driven industry. Yes, it's a very tight group of people that end up being the people that are running the distribution business or the retail business. But then you realize that at the end, people want to do business with people. 
And once you realize that there's power in community and power in really making your own relationships and crossing your own rivers and, you know, and having your own meetings, then you realize that people want to do business, whomever you are. If you have a good product and you are a good partner and you bring a solid, you know, commercial strategy, there are people that don't care where you come from, who you are, or it doesn't matter. It's all about the business. And I've been able to really build and be uh, inspired and surprised by the industry that, yes, probably if I would have counted my odds, Mexican, woman, <laughs> all these different things, the bets would have been low. But at the end, it's more about like not caring about what the preconceived notions are and being very perseverant and you know dedicated to think that, well, one phone call is a no, Let's who's the next person on the call and who's the next person on the call and who's the next person on the call and really believe in your product. I think that product needs to be the main actor in that conversation. For us, it was, we're going to invest in the product. We don't want this to be a marketing story. We want this to be all about the main actor of this story is the product, the quality of our product, the role of the product, how the product should be drank. How do we actually even share uh, the education of our product. And I think that when you do something of quality and that has a true mission and values, I think people can read through that very quickly. Well, it, you know, everyone talks about authenticity all the time, but it's sort of like the truth. I don't think that ever gets old. What you said is important. And in a day and age too, where maybe people don't communicate as directly as they used to, if you were in business before, you'd have to go to the place, see the people and shake their hand. And now everyone's flying emails and I mean, this is a different situation because of quarantine, but, you know, people not really genuinely connecting. I think it's important what you said, which is also never feeling like you can't actually pick up the phone and just calling the scariest person that you've heard about and that they're going to say no. And you just go, "Uh uh-huh, but I'm going to try anyway. And then being pleasantly surprised usually because if you're not playing by the game, whatever the game is, and you're just giving it a go, that a lot of times, you know, it's a lot more unlimited than we realize. Crafting your own roadmap is tough. At the very least, it gives you the freedom to know that, well, even if Johnny did it this way or Carlos did it that way or whomever else did it another way, there's no only one way. That's where, you know, the freedom of thought comes in. And then that's where you start like feeling more and more comfortable in your own skin about trying. And a lot of times people don't realize how creative business is and can be you know, you're being creative, like you said, if there's no path, yes, there's certain things you're going to hit and you're dealing with investors and distribution, but there's a great amount of creativity in what you're doing because you're building the path. Have there been things, you know, you were mentioning like furniture and movies and all of these sort of cultural exports out of Mexico. And then, you know, there's the cliches of the wildness or the unruliness of perceived about Mexico. Do you just sort of ignore it and go, let me show you what we have to offer instead of saying it's not all those things? Like, and I'm sure you've talked to other peers in other industry in Mexico about it, but I would imagine at times there's a frustration. So then how do you go, okay, we're going to just share. There will be the, you know, the people that will be, they will not see it. They're not going to see it. And you have to also learn how to cut your losses. <laughs> and we are a group of many others that are doing this in each one of them in their own craft. And the interest outside of the world for Mexico has always been there. You know, the interest about architecture, the interest about art, the interest about our cuisine. It's, it's always been there. When we started Casa Dragones, when we started selling Casa Dragones Joven, it was the crisis of 2009, which, as you know, was like 
terrible crisis. I mean, I went to sell my product because we were doing it literally door by door. And many retailers saw me. They're like, you are very eloquent. You speak very good English. Your product is very good. But are you reading the news? It's a $275 tequila. And we're going through the worst recession that the U.S. has seen in the last you know, 30 years. That enabled us to connect with people genuinely. And some reacted really well to it and welcomed that we were truly expanding the tequila repertoire. Because at the end, the consumer today interacts with categories very different than they used to do before. That if you love wine from France of a certain region, you're going to buy different houses, different labels. You want to learn through it. You want to talk to one producer. You want to talk to another producer. In tequila, is the same thing. Our mission is to expand the tequila repertoire. We believe there's already a lot of incredible producers out there. And we're coming here to complement what's on the shelf, to really show when you say Casa Dragones, we have a very specific product on the shelf that differentiates for all the others. With that, and then showcasing our craft, some people that reacted really well to it, and some people were like, well, why are you serving your tequila in champagne flutes? And I'm like, well, first of all, they're not champagne flutes. They're Riedel Overture tequila glasses that were designed by the top maestro tequileros in Riedel. And this is the official glassware that we use for professional tastings. So it's breaking those barriers and it's asking for the chance for people to listen about something that they may have a preconceived notion. Even some people left tequila because of the way they drank tequila when they were growing up in the U.S. So we are in our label, it says sipping tequila for a reason because and we believe that the product has this complexity and taste that once you have one sip, it truly invites you to sip and savor. That's the objective, to showcase that the spirit truly has that complexity and balance and journey of taste. You talk about it starting with the soil. Think about good food. Good food, good vegetables, healthy, nutrient-dense. All of this starts with the attention to detail of soil. And I think what happened is we've gotten so sped up in the world, right? Everything's fast and cheap and quick and we just get it down. Sometimes we don't even look up from our desk when we're eating, right? So we've been trained to just speed up. And what you're saying to me though is important. You're using tequila as part of that communication. But I think we could say that for visiting with friends, sitting down for a meal, listening and appreciating music, like reading a book, just taking time and slowing it down and appreciating. I think we've certainly lost a lot of that. And finding the way in this crazy spinning world to say, I'm not going to do a shot. Let's take a minute and an hour to sip the whole thing. You know, like a shot. Like, where did that come from? You know, we believe in the power of focus. And that's why when we came to market, we only came with one product only, which was risky because what if no one likes your one product? Then it's a dead end. But we thought that if we were able to truly do something unique and different that had extraordinary quality and meticulous attention to detail, we had a chance. After being in the industry for so many years, I saw so many products coming in and out. So many, so many, so many, so many, so many. So we said, well, to give it our best shots, we need to produce the best possible product and have one strong point of view. And we're going to work that point of view. We could have had also Joven is an overlooked style in the tequila category. We brought it back to life in 100% agave. Is this beautiful blend of a white tequila with a five-year-old extra aged tequila. It's made for sipping and pairing with food. We wanted to prove that the tequila not only belongs in the Mexican table, it also can belong in a French cuisine or in Italian cuisine or in Japanese cuisine. And we did that for five years. That's the only thing that we did for five years. Many of my colleagues that were born at the same time, many of them 
were born with three different styles on the shelf. I'm not criticizing it in any way. Just with our infrastructure and our approach and our values, like we don't know how that's done. We've been really like slowly adding different styles to our repertoire because we also want the time to create. We also want the time to innovate. We also, we're here for that particular exercise. We want to be able to, the appellation of the origin belongs to Mexico. And we, we, we understand this is a relay, right? So I'm only going to be here for next amount of X number of years. And then the next generations are going to come. So we really want to make sure that we are moving the conversation of tequila production into the future as much as we can. So then we're leaving the appellation in a different place for the next generations, because that competition is not just during my lifetime, but it's also, you know, it's for the longevity of this appellation for Mexico. But where do you get the confidence to go, okay, I can do this. I can start a business with backing or not. And with somebody who's had successes of their own, what in you said, I'm ready to take this on? Because that's like looking up a mountain and then saying, I'm going to pick up one of the heaviest rocks around here and start on my way. So I had these ideas and I turned it into little businesses. I did all these little businesses in high school and in university. And every time I did it, I made a little money and I financed it myself. And I got really accustomed of having like an idea and executing it. And I felt a lot of like I was determined and I found passion in actually doing it. And I found like independence in actually having my own income. Then I went into the corporate world. It was great experience for me. I think it was very important for my career overall. I worked in management consulting for a couple of years and then did my master's in Northwestern and then went to work for my dream. No, I was wanted to work for, for tequila. I learned a lot. I got inspired. It's a 250-year-old company. It's an 11-generation family that owns this company for 11 generations. They have the most complex portfolio of tequilas in the world. They, their history is the history of tequila. So like every day, every rock that you turned around, there was a history, there was a story, there was a raison d'etre. There was so much incredibleness in, in the company, but it was never going to be my company. Even though in my heart, it felt, it, was, it felt like it was mine, you know? Brand people fall in love with, with brands. Later on in my decade there, I invested in two different companies. A startup that started kind of like a magazine in Mexico City, hybrid of Time Out and New York Magazine. I was on the board and I invested it in and I was part of the marketing team uh, on my free time. And that was an incredible experience, but it was not my project. And then Time Warner came and bought our competition and we, and we had to close that out. And I also worked on a, on a film that was a very successful film, third largest grossing film that year in Mexico. I'm not a surfer. I got on the surfboard and I felt kind of like how it felt again. I felt the energy of being with entrepreneurs and being fearless and trying it and trying how it feels. And then I got to a conclusion, but I'm jumping into other people's projects and my passion is tequila. So that's when I started obsessing about, I want to become an entrepreneur in the tequila industry. And I started and started and started, not really knowing how high the mountain was and how heavy the rock was going to be. Just started like thinking that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like all the indications felt that my journey in the corporate world was not going to, was not, I was not going to be happy. So that's how I started kind of like really thinking about this. And then I met Bob Pittman in a party in Brooklyn and we started talking and I'm like, you know, of course I'm excited. I'm talking to the founder of MTV and he's like telling me how much he loves tequila and this and that. And he always had wanted to start a company. And I'm like, really? Well, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, so we exchanged cards and I didn't know if it was party talk or not. But no, his secretary next day was, you know, Mr. Pittman can meet with you on this and these dates. And I put my best outfit on 
and went to the meeting and went to another meeting. And when you have like this passion to do something, I didn't put everything on a scale, right? I just said, this is my route. I have a real chance right now to take this. And what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Go back to live with my mom in her house while I get another job, (laughs) which could have been. Uh, because I was in New York already and I don't have any kind of trust fund or anything like that. So I had what I had. Which, by the way, is sometimes better. You know, I always say when you're crossing the high wire line and there is no safety net, the brain says you better make it. And I, I think the danger sometimes is if there actually is a net there. Saying no to it would have been an agony. I quit my job and I wrote a business plan and I spoke to them for multiple time moving forward and, and we started Laird and I had a meeting yesterday. We don't often have like sort of the whole executive team with like the food scientists and marketing all in one. And so we were all together and we were going through products in the pipeline because, you know, sort of different than your your market, which it makes perfect sense to me. We have to kind of go, well, how are we going to spread our footprint in a grocery store and connect in different ways and stay on brand authentically? And when we hung up from this call, realize how smart all the people are that we work with and that they're thinking ideas way beyond what we're able to think. They're working with you. It's sort of like what I love to magic about sport is like together we are better than just ourselves. And I think people don't realize sometimes the power of like looking to your left and right and being like, wow, I'm with some incredible people. And uh, I'm so grateful that I get to do this with them. So the when we hung up, I was like, we're really fortunate. How long did it take you to come up with your name? And when we thought that we really had this beautiful tequila that we thought we put it to compete, uh, you know, with not with a name, just to see how like the experts of tequila were giving us the grades and everything. Once we thought we had truly something special, then we took a step back and started thinking about, you know, our name and everything else. Partner with the founder of MTV, rebellious, independent thinker, like, all you know, MTV, I mean, what is one of the most amazing brands ever created in the world, right? That came with certain rebelliousness and innovation and freedom of thought and all those things. We wanted to be tequila producers that were known in the tequila industry as being modern and rebellious that are pushing that conversation of tequila production into the future. Bob had a house, that house is now part of the, the company, that used to be the stables of a cavalry that masterminded the movement of Mexican independence. The house is Casa Dragones. All came together, but it, it was all inspired by the tequila. It really was all inspired by the juice. I hired a woman that was doing her PhD on the history of this cavalry to really give me classes to make sure I was not going to be abusing Mexican history or anything like that. And then I started learning all about like this history of these incredible, you know, generals that were fourth generation Spaniards in the New Spain that had never been to Spain. They had to pay 70% of their income to the Bourbonic crown that were fed up. They were rich already. They're in the center of Mexico, all these incredible things and how they masterminded these movements and how it changed the story of the creation of Mexico. So we loved that. Like we totally fell in love with that and what it meant and the DNA of the company and rebellious and freedom thinkers and all these things. And that's how the name Casa Dragones was born. And that exercise informed our branding informed the color of the flag of the cavalry was a certain color blue. This is a little dreamy thinking, but sometimes I feel like when we are in the right place in this entrepreneurial path, you do get fairy dust here and there. I just think it shows up. Doesn't mean, oh, it's so easy, but you get those little, you know, 
magical drop-offs. Yes, yes. And you have to see them. <laughs> you know, in all of your years of experience, because you've done a lot and you're going to do a lot more, I can just see you're very energized. I'm like, I don't know. I was like, Bertha, man, you're not tired. Like, you're just like going full on. Because I know you've had days where you probably have lost sleep. I know. There's just no way. You know, and like that joke, haha, I'd probably move, I'd have to move back with my mother. Believe me, we've all had that, right? Like, I call it, I have stuff to sell. That's what I call it. Like, sometimes I'll and I look at them and I'm like, well, we've got stuff to sell. Like, if we have to, right? Like, I think sometimes it's like, let's get to the worst. What's the worst? All right, you're going to move back with your mother. We can't do that. So we're going to sell stuff. But like why it's worth it, even on the nights that you, maybe you didn't sleep. Being an entrepreneur and you feel you have a calling that you go to sleep thinking about and wake up in the morning and want to learn more and everything about it, it gives you the opportunity to discover your potential. It's a big gift that you can give to yourself. You know, and I ask this as a female who also deals with a lot of uh, men. I'm not going to overgeneralize, but I will go for it a little bit. If you're dealing with men who are in Mexico farming, something that they're very good at, and some are going to be uh, older than you, is there, a, is there a technique or did it, did it come just naturally? You shifted some of the ways that you communicated? I realized when I went into the tequila industry, my first week into it, that I was introduced to the entire sales force. I looked around and I realized, oh my God, there's no women here. But I, that had not even crossed my mind. Yeah. Well, it's about the work, right? It's not about like who's administering the information. It's just about the work. But I realized that I didn't want my gender to define my opportunity. So I didn't want to really approach my business. I, don't, I, wouldn't, I didn't want to be that woman in the tequila industry, even though, of course, I am very proud of. But I wanted to be a professional in the tequila industry. And I wanted my profession and my professionalism to come through. And through that, get my seat at the table rather than play a minority in the game. When I was younger, I was even like, I was, I, I learned how to speak better, you know, because I was, you know, men don't have to learn that. They are men and however they speak is accepted because they are leaders or they are whatever it is. And I'm not putting any generalizing either. I've learned, you know, depending on the environment, you know, do I go alone? Do I bring, you know, my partners that can actually play a role and that can play, even though I'm leading, they can help me play a role that maybe would be better taken if someone else tells it to them. But I think the thing, the most important thing is to connect genuinely with people, to break those barriers. I think if you really know your craft and you really have something to add, people will listen. And I think once you win the respect of people and they know that they're open to give their point of view, we may agree to disagree. I think that then you really have the opportunity of them starting to see you as a leader and not just seeing you as a, a female in the tequila industry. You work with your partner. How does that work? Is there any nuanced things uh, working with your partner that uh, you learned? She's an incredible writer. And she was already independent, had her own agency. So when it was time to write the story, I said, you need to help me write the story. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to get you a writer and you can manage the writer. And it's like, I don't have money for the writer and I have no time to brief the writer and you're the best writer I know. So you are going to write the story. So long story short, I convinced her to write the story. She wrote an amazing story. I put it in front of Bob. Bob Reese is like, who wrote this story? And I'm like, Michelle. It's like, she's hired. They're writing the story and then everything about the creation of the brand, she is driving force behind this. And we have learned, you know, 
Is it great? Is it not great? I wouldn't know because I don't have another comparison. So I think it's a life we've crafted for ourselves that we've chosen to craft. And I think at the end, with your partner, with your life partner, there has to be a lot of fun in your life. But at the end, you're also managing your household and your life together. So in a way, you're managing your own business together. You know, when you're really, truly together, you're already doing that as a couple. So this has given us the, the chance to make a beautiful life, get to know each other from a professional perspective, and then, you know, grow with that. It has its challenges. Yeah, closing the door on Friday and opening it back on on Monday without trying to talk about business in the weekend is practically impossible. Having that discipline and all the other things. But we talk about this. I think that if I would have done this business on my own, I probably would have not seen her in 10 years. Friend of ours, Boyce Gracie, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a magnificent person and champion. He said, how saints perform no miracles. And uh, sometimes, like, you know someone so well, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, but they're really smart and good at that. Like, let them be that separately from all the little idiosyncratic thing, things that you know about them. So I, I think that that's a really beautiful dance. Well, I grew up in the Caribbean. So a lot of the grownups around me did a, a lot of irresponsible drinking and they were into rum. I don't know if there's any worse drink than rum and coke. I was not a drinker because I kind of saw whatever, but I received the most beautiful with my name on it bottle from you. And so I want you to know that I will be enjoying it and I will sip my tequila in honor of uh, Casa Dragones and you just salute you and say thank you. And, and I'm excited to see you, uh, you know, in another 20 years taking over who knows what else, what other extensions that you'll be up to. You know, I saw your husband's documentary recently and that was very inspirational. Knew about you because of the, you know, volleyball that I was part of for, I don't know how, like three or four years. Learned that complexity and the challenge of the sport and what you did with the sport and being, you know, the role that you've had in sports for women. It's great to meet you in person. I really, really would love to meet you one day in person, really physically out of, once we're out of this challenge. And I really look forward to staying in touch. I actually downloaded your app that I'm going to follow because I need to find better balance between work and exercise. So I'm going to start using it and I need to learn about the gifts you gave me. I want to wish you continued success and keep kicking ass. And the same for you. And I look forward to staying in touch very much so. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.